0: They get it, and they really get it. Now, these leaders know that their roles changed, the roles of their sellers have changed, buyers want to buy differently, and they can't do it without technology.
1: Welcome to the OpStars Podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes. Holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrarity. Hello, I'm Rachel McBrarity, the Chief Customer Officer at Lean Data. Welcome to today's episode. I'm excited to be joined by Mary Shea. Welcome, Mary.
0: Thanks, Rachel. It's great to be here. And hello to your audience. I'm excited for today's conversation.
1: Me too, before we get started, I'm gonna share a bit of background about you. Mary is one of the foremost industry analysts who cover the future of B2B sales and the evaluation of emerging and established sales technologies. She is currently the global innovation evangelist at Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only sales execution platform. It helps revenue teams to bring intelligence to workflows, unlock visibility across the revenue cycle, and commit forecasts with confidence. Prior to Outreach, Mary was a principal analyst at Forrester, where she led the research for and authored the inaugural Forrester Wave sales engagement report, pointing to the pandemic as a watershed moment for B2B selling and amplifying the need for companies to invest in a sales engagement solution. Be sure to check out her Revenue Innovators podcast where she showcases revenue innovators from across the globe. It's excellent. I listened to this weekend while I was gardening. Terrific content. Mary also conducts thought-provoking research on sales technology landscape, the future of buying and selling, the criticality of having a diverse, equitable, and inclusive B2B sales organization. We're excited to have her here today to discuss a recent study that she did with Forrester on the new era of sales. But Mary, before we get to that, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your career
0: journey and the work you're doing now at Outreach. Yeah, thanks for that incredible introduction. So yeah, it's always funny to hear it about yourself, but I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, I've been in the business world for about 20 years now, but prior to that, I was actually a classical musician. And we were chatting a little bit before the show started. I'm a trained musicologist and ethnomusicologist. And so for your I know you know since your spouse is a musicologist, but for your listeners, a musicologist is someone who studies the western art music or music that's passed down in Uh, written form. So classical music, as we think about it here in Western society, ethnomusicology is more akin to anthropology. And so in that discipline, we looked at musics that were passed on in oral tradition. So I actually learned how to play the Chinese oboe, the Balinese gamelan, and a range of different types of drums from Ghana. But that was a very long time ago. And I transitioned into the business world in the mid to late 90s. And I actually joined Forrester when Forrester was a small company. I think I was employee number 93, if I remember correctly. And uh, the company took a flyer on me. I wanted to get into the business world and the world of sales in particular. And I talked myself into getting hired for an SDR position or whatever we called it back in the day. And so that is really how my whole business career and sales career got started. And it was one of those moments where I took a chance and went down a different direction. And it monumentally changed every aspect of my life uh, in many, many positive ways. So I say that because I think you probably have listeners uh, and audience members, community members who are at all different stages of their careers. And sometimes taking calculated risk at the right moment in time can absolutely change everything in your career, in your personal life, and it certainly did for me. Well, that's really
1: very inspiring, and I think you hit a very interesting point in time in the mid-late '90s when the internet was really starting to transform the world. I think we're on the cusp of a new era, just like then. It's exciting time. It's interesting that you would you know encourage our our listeners. What we find in the operations world is that the career path is not a straight line. You don't study, you necessarily study ops in college, so you might come out of finance or other backgrounds and end up in operations. So there is no straight line necessarily into this world. So tell us about outreach. So you just made another step in your career to leave Forrester and join outreach, did the, the wave around sales engagement. So I'm guessing you were pretty steeped in the world and said, yes, this company is
0: what I'm excited about. So tell us what is going on at Outreach these days? It couldn't possibly be more exciting place to be at the moment. And I feel like I'm in the epicenter of technology transformation and with a company that has an incredible vision for the future of buying and selling and how technology is going to play into that world. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Rachel. So I had been following the so-called sales engagement space for a couple of years before I wrote the uh, inaugural wave. And I wasn't the analyst that covered that space, but I started lobbying all of my bosses because I had the sense at the time that this category was going to be transformational, very much in the vein that CRM was transformational back in 2004 when Benioff brought it to the cloud or whatever that date was. Um, Probably have some smart aleck out there that will tell me that wasn't the date, but it was around that time. Anyway, so I really had the sense that this category was poised to explode. And I just lobbied everyone in the research organization to give me the opportunity to cover the category. And so it took a while for us to get the internal approvals, but I did get to cover it and wrote the wave. And for those of you who haven't participated in Forrester Wave, it's quite an experience for folks on both sides of the table. Now I've been through my my first wave on the other side of the fence, but on the analyst side, you spend four to five months really deeply investigating the category. So you figure out who all the key players and providers are you analyze them you look at all of the research that's been written you look at the investments and follow the money so to speak and then you spend several hours with the leaders of each of these companies and they take you through a demo and the differentiation and so by the time you're you're finished with a wave in a particular area and and i think this is really true to say no one in the world probably knows that category better than you and that's one of the things that's so cool about being a forester analyst and I certainly loved that when, when I was one. But I got to know the players really, really well. And what stood out to me about outreach was naturally the leadership. So Manny, Medina, and Anna Baird are two incredibly uh, special leaders. If your audience doesn't follow them and me on LinkedIn, please do follow us if if you're inclined. Manny has come up uh, through engineering and technology, and he's a, he's very, very focused on innovation. When you're an entrepreneur, you can be sort of product-led or market-led. You can lean more into the sales and marketing. And Manny was always focused on innovating, innovating on behalf of our client set so that we, could, as a company, could find more ways to add value back to the organization. And of course, you know we have a wonderful go-to-market team, but I was really struck by the commitment to innovation. And by that commitment, the company reinvests 40% of its top line revenues back into R&D. And we're not a small company and we've continued to make that percentage investment even as we've grown exponentially. So it's really, you know, the leadership, the commitment to innovation, the company culture. I don't know if your folks see many of us on, on LinkedIn or out there in different social platforms, but we love work, working at outreach. We're a very inclusive organization. We seek diversity in terms of experiences and thought and culture. And for me, that was just, you know, so exciting. And I just had the sense that Outreach was on this trajectory that it was going to be the next Salesforce of, as we look in the next 10 years. And I, I wanted to be part of that journey on the inside versus uh, the outside. So that sort of, those are some of the reasons I made the leap and I couldn't be happier to be with the organization. You touched on the end
1: on diversity and inclusion. That's an area that you cover in your studies and are passionate about. How important do you think that is to the success of a company today to really intentionally design and think about DEI?
0: I think it's incredibly important on so many different levels. There was a a really wonderful study that LinkedIn commissioned with Forrester that uh, was published. I think it was right before the holidays or something. And they went out and I think they surveyed about 500 different respondents and they wanted to get to the heart of. We all know DE&I is the right thing to do, but I think it's been to date a little bit squishy on what the economic returns are for companies that invest in DEI. And so they spent a lot of time, effort, money going out and really linking commercial performance to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in different organizations. And the results are astounding. So I encourage anyone who's listening to take a look at that report. I loved it. I've also done some work myself and you do see that organizations that have a diverse leadership team board and workforce are consistently outperforming those that do not. So the data is coming in. I think the other thing to think about we're in the middle of what's been called the great resignation or a time I prefer to call it employee empowerment where employees rather than the actual businesses are are so empowered and employees have lots of opportunities to go work at different companies of all shapes and sizes. When I was joining Outreach, I had multiple offers to join. And so the companies that I think are going to win the best talent are ones that do commit to uh, diversity and creating a really inclusive organization. We have, I think, eight to 10 ERGs, employee-led ERGs at Outreach. We're very active. We're sharing newsletters, we're educating each other. We've got a book club that's coming up next Friday where the Appy group and LGBTQ plus group are going to discuss a book that sort of has some intersection uh, across both, um, both types of, of organizations' uh, passions and interests. So I think it's a moment in time, not only for technology and innovation, but also for embracing all types of uh, talent. Wholeheartedly agree. It's really great. I mean, we're all all of us are learning every day. And I even feel like, you know, in my own journey as a member of the LGBTQ Plus community, I'm learning so much more about different ways um, that folks are identifying and how they want to be referred to. And it's just every day it's 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 about learning more and more. I read a book called Cast, which I don't know if you've read it, but it's a very profound and difficult book to read about our history and, and race in this country. And so we're all trying to be as good allies as we can. And there's a lot of education. And I'm certainly trying to take, as, take advantage of it as much as I can in, in my role in, at Outreach. Appreciate
1: that. Appreciate you driving the thought leadership. So you, you recently did a study with Forrester that's titled B2B Leaders Usher in a New Era of Sales you also cover this in in that uh, report. I'm curious, what were you trying to understand with that study? And what were some of the key findings?
0: Yeah, so thank you for asking. So uh, you know, when you ask an analyst about their research, you're, you're going to be friends for life. So um, <laughs> I still so appreciate that. We can talk about our research all day long. But I did, I partnered with Forrester to conduct this research with B2B sales leaders. And um, we looked at, we surveyed leaders across the UK, US and Canada, which are our primary markets. And we wanted everyone director level above, I think 30% of the respondents were VP or higher. And I wanted to understand how chief revenue officers, how sales leaders were thinking about themselves, their roles, Their managers, their reps from a talent perspective, a talent and skills perspective, how they were thinking about technology as an enabling force for selling and buying, and how they were adapting to the monumental changes that we've experienced in the world at large over the last 24 plus months. Because if you really think about it, there's been a hell of a lot going on. It's been very challenging naturally dealing with the pandemic from a health and wellness perspective. There's literally everyone in our organization has been touched in a sad way with loss. Um, Our customers have experienced that. We're not able to be together. We need new skills to engage in a remote setting. And now we're seeing the advent of data as a competitive differentiation. So I wanted to just take a step back and say how the hell are you dealing with all this? And where are you on this journey? And part of the driver for those questions was that when I was an analyst at Forrester, I spent a lot of my time literally flying all over the world, talking to executive teams, business leaders, and sales organizations about digital sales transformation and the necessity to move forward. And certainly, Many companies did, but many legacy companies were like, well, you know, we have a relationship. sale. We're selling energy. We do life sciences. This doesn't relate to us. And now, you know, we're all inside sales reps. Let's be honest. So I kind of wanted to see if that was creating a different dynamic and an accelerant and some more urgency for digital transformation. And and those were like the macro things I was looking to uncover.
1: So how are they doing? How are their sales leaders doing, weathering all of this?
0: I know, I, I thought you never ask. I mean, um, <laughs> that was such a buildup. So yeah, thanks for taking the time. So they're doing amazingly well, which was incredibly surprising for me because at Forrester, it was like Sisyphus, you know, in the ball up the, the boulder, up the mountain. And I'm like, guys, this is happening. You know, millennials are going to be half the global workforce. They're digital natives. They want to, you know learn and get educated independently. They want to use interactive technology. And I always would get the yeah, but yeah, but we're X, Y, Z. That's not our audience. We still to the blue blazer, the tie, the white shirt. No, I understand social, but not our, you know, yeah, but you're really smart, Mary, but yeah, but. So what I found, Rachel, was that they get it, and they really get it now. And we're talking about, we're not talking about just SaaS. We're not just talking about tech, ProServe, our, the darlings of the tech world. We're talking about nitty-gritty traditional organizations that aren't necessarily as sexy as you would think. And by and large, these leaders know that their roles changed. The roles of their sellers have changed. Buyers want to buy differently, and they can't do it without technology. And so couple of things sort of popped out when I asked them, you know, what were the biggest challenges that you're facing? The top three were leading a multi-generational sales force. That was number one. Two was the pace at which buyers are evolving and changing. And three was an uncertain economic environment. So, you know, it was interesting because like I expected other answers and they were like, wow, we're having all of these challenges around You know, dealing with millennials, boomers, zoomers, transparency, communication, what's our stand on social justice and all these kinds of new things that they hadn't really had to deal with prior. And I thought that was super interesting. That is. What do you think is sort of the most important aspect they're focusing
1: on? You kind of talked about the people, maybe changing processes to the technology. What do you think came out as sort of the lead story for them? Was it their people? The lead story
0: for me was when I asked them, Like, what are the most important attributes for a seller? Number one, and this was quite a bit above the other ones, was that they were technology adept and had digital capabilities. And that came in front of relationship builder, creative problem solver, industry expertise, and value based approach. And so, you know, when I was selling or back in the day, you would I think you would think relationship building or you know active listening or you know some of these other things that are t- typically associated with sales, and now we have no, 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 My number one attribute or skill that I need in a seller is they need to be able to get around digitally and they need to use technology, Maybe they're creating videos or' editing, they're content creators or what have you. They need to have these capabilities. The interesting thing was when I asked on the line management level, sales managers it was the ability to consume ingest analytics and data and insights and drive that to a next step outcome and action and again that was higher than than coaching you know providing an environment where everyone could could see, you know succeed some of the traditional things so they understand the world of their reps and managers is fundamentally different and then the other thing they're doing is they're massively investing in skill set development so in upskilling and reskilling so of sales leaders are investing in reskilling their managers. 89% are heavily investing in reskilling their reps. So that means really leaning into their sales enablement um, programs and expanding those internally and also bringing in external providers that have unique training capabilities in how to get around LinkedIn or what have you.
1: It's very encouraging to hear the investment being made in, in upskilling people is that the world is certainly very different. So much of it is, is engaging, as you said, through, through the technology and using data and insights. I'm curious, how big of a hill is that going to be to climb to get your sales teams able to have a facility with analytics and data? Advice or,
0: or thoughts on, on that? Like, What are the key areas to start? I actually came out with some predictions at the end of last year and one of my predictions it was five of them was that 2022 was going to be the year of the sales manager the the year that the sales manager finally got their due in terms of time and attention and education and support because oftentimes even though they're they play one of the most important roles in the go-to-market organization they've been kind of ignored and under supported and so You know, what we're doing, and we're creating a blueprint, which I'm sure we're happy to share with with anyone who would like to benefit from it, is we're creating training programs to help managers understand the basic one-on-ones of data and analytics. Now, they don't need to be a data scientist. There's plenty of people that can do that in any large global organization, right? I'm not saying that, but they need to be able to ask the right questions, they need to be able to have the set up dashboards for their reps and their managers, and they need to be able to look at the data and drive data-driven coaching conversations versus if you think back of the pipeline conversations, like it was always sort of like, I'm a rep and I need to kind of protect... What I can actually deliver, and the manager's trying to extract more to raise the forecast, and then we're going to triangulate. And now, you know, we're moving beyond those types of conversations to the conversation where the manager's really expected to come in and deliver real value to the rep on how they can be more successful. And I think being able to assimilate that data and immediately provide those coaching actions is what managers need to do. we're leaning in hard to um, train our managers and help them get those and acquire those skills. On the rep level, I think what what we're seeing is some of the reps that are in an earlier tenure in their career are coming in and they know how to do everything. They may need some help on, on the data uh, and insight side, but pretty digitally savvy, right? And so I'm also seeing other organizations do bilateral mentorship where you might partner up someone in sales who's early in their career with someone who's a little bit later in the career, the earlier tenured person can help that individual really embrace technology. So you're not going to survive or thrive without it in the sales world. You just won't, you'll get left behind. And then what we do notice is some of the younger cohort don't have the art of reading the room, the art of the deal, that the, they don't have the sort of the the art part of, of the science of selling, right? And so I've heard and seen research that shows And I don't want to pick on any cohort in particular, but I will say millennials have a hard time asking that hard question, asking for the close. And if you've never really, if you only ask somebody for a date over over an app or a swipe or a text, you're not used to asking that hard question, looking someone in the eye and saying, Rachel, are you going to buy from outreach? And letting that silence sit until you get the answer. So I think bilateral mentorship is something that I think works really, really well. Makes sense. It also
1: does take me back because I lived through those late 90s, early 2000s, where you had the the younger set kind of coming up through the ranks, being much more internet savvy than some of the leadership and helping them out and having that sort of mentorship going on too is, is uh, the early days of the web. So, you know, it all comes back around again. I think it does tend to repeat. Yeah. And I think, you know, absolutely agree that the days of going with your gut and intuition in sales are, are over, and they should be. We have too much data and insights to completely go on the gut. I was working at Cisco before moving to Lean Data, and I ran the data science team, and we would provide insights into the sales team and even do A-B testing. And there was no comparison. The team that got the insights and where to focus well outperformed the others. It was a few years back, so it was still a lot of convincing that the insights actually were valuable but i you know i think now you don't really have to make that argument as much
0: no i don't think so i mean i think we're we're at a place now where organizations that embrace a data driven approach to managing their revenue cycles or activities or processes will have a huge competitive differentiation from from others and those that don't will fall by the wayside and i think you're already seeing disruptors come up very quickly to some traditional businesses and in all kinds of industries. And and that's happening. Yeah.
1: I have to, while I have you ask from a perspective of the operations team. We have a lot of folks in operations who are listening to the podcast. If you're sitting in operations, how do we help sales leaders as they're in
0: this new era of selling? Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, sales leaders today What it takes to be successful is very, very strong financial acumen, the ability to glean insights from the data and to be more operationally oriented than back in the day when I was a sales leader, which is, you know, the focus was more on some of the softer skills, being able to navigate your way around the organization, to get things done, to enlist and inspire the sales force, to fly you know, to another continent and help somebody close that big deal or do the ride along. And I'm not saying that's not important, but as we get tighter and tighter about managing and running our business, the taking a data-driven approach to doing so is going to be the way to do it. I think when I think about forecasting, for example, many organizations don't get it right. And in a volatile world where we're in right now, where we don't know what's going to happen next, Right historical trending is not going to be very relevant. So organizations are really going to need access to uh, real-time insights around the health of their deals, their pipelines, and their forecasts. And they're not going to be able to miss forecasts by 25% or more, which uh, many organizations still do today. And so I think, you know, when you think about the CRO, many of them have probably come up through the organization and are not as strong in some of the skills that I mentioned. So I actually think the most important hire For a new CRO or CRO that's taking on a a big role is that VP, you know, head of revenue operations, who can make sense of all the data, who can break down silos between customer success, sales, marketing, get the organization operating off of a single set of robust data, and then creating the analytics and dashboards to allow for real-time great decision-making. And so I think the ops person right now is kind of the in the catbird seat, to be really honest with you, because they are going to be the number one person to support the chief revenue officer, the, the CFO, the COO, um, and they're going to be breaking down silos. They're going to be breaking down the silos across their organization so that we truly have a one approach to managing the health of our business and making decisions, forward, forward-looking decisions based on what the data are telling us. I wholeheartedly
1: agree. with the evolution of revenue operations. Everybody's going to
0: love what you're saying. I'll even go so far as to say, you know, there could be a world where RevOps professionals have their own C in front of their own title. As we start to see, you know, data increase in size and the ability to garner insights from that based on the ML. so So we'll see, but it's a great place to be and Every executive at the company is going to rely on that individual for guidance and help. I know. It's one of those things that just makes sense. I've come up through the
1: chief customer officer, customer experience, and, you know, really that approach didn't work to align the organization. But I think this new approach of really coming at it from the technology, the data, across the different teams, let those front lines folks do what they do best. Let the marketers do the marketing. Let the sellers do the selling, right? Let the customer success teams guide the clients. But RevOps really can provide all of the tools and information necessary across. And for me, that that's what got me excited about coming to a company like Lean Data, because I'm like, that is going to solve a lot of the, the customer experience problems that we see.
0: It absolutely is. And that particular persona and role is the right one to drive this forward. Yeah, no, it's super
1: exciting. Question about the technology. It feels still like it's a bit of mayhem out there as things are evolving so rapidly, right? There's a lot of M&A happening. We see it in our customer base and the charts are crazy with all of the logos. Categories are being created, they're colliding, they're creeping into each other. Any tips for staying on top of things if you are in a marketing
0: sales ops role? Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely overwhelming. You know, I think about that that big slide that Nancy Narden created with like thousands of logos that everyone sees. And we, I always love to pull that up because it does show the mayhem. And Dan Gottlieb and Craig Rosenberg from Gartner talking about the sales tech mayhem. And I love the work that they've been doing there. But yeah, I mean, if you think about the, you know, to think about where we are today, and, and I won't spend too much time on this, but you do have to go back and and think about where we came from. We all came from a place where CRM was the only show in town. And that was, I would say, existed from, you know, 2004 to 2015. Right in 2015, you see the emergence of companies that are taking the one-to-many role with technology, bringing that scalable focus to the one-to-one interactions between sellers and their prospects and customers. And so you had companies like TowedApp and Yesware and Seismic and Highspot, and they got what were pretty sizable rounds of funding for that time. And then In 2020, we started. I predicted at Forrester that 2021 was going to be the year of massive sales tech consolidation. We saw that, you know. So companies like uh, ZI, Clary, Gong, Exactly, Outreach leaned into acquisitions with adjacent categories. So categories that are just adjacent, not necessarily buying into their own category to increase the book, but to increase innovation and their ability, their reach to deliver value. And now. We're at a place where uh, sales leaders, like they, you know, sales organizations are probably a little bit smaller than they were prior to the pandemic in many cases. So we're looking at more efficiencies. I think about 38% of sales leaders are saying they want to, you know, consolidate their sales tech stack. They're doing audits. They want to derive more value from core providers. They don't want a whole amalgamation of point solutions. Now that makes sense when a marketplace is early. You know this, Rachel, you've been around just like I have. And the same thing happened with marketing and marketing automation. You have hundreds of solutions while we're innovating and figuring it out. We figured it out. I think the winners have been chosen. And these winners have gotten, I I would say, in the last six months of last year, pretty significant late round fundings and massive valuations. And now it's really what Gartner says, what Dan and and Craig say. It is the race for the platform. And I think outreach is extraordinarily well Uh, position to lead that race. So we we are focused not on engagement like we were. That is a core part of our platform, helping sellers of all shapes and sizes manage their omni-channel interactions and cadence. But we have a range of solutions for every persona across the entire revenue cycle. And the golden mean of all of that is the data capture, the automatic data capture, where we're capturing all of the buyer and seller engagement activity, as well as sentiment data and rolling that up to a single repository, either in our platform and or on the CRM. And with those accurate and robust data sets, then you can apply the ML to it to come out with massive insights on at the deal, pipeline, forecast level and beyond. And so we're just at a transformational moment. And I'm really excited to be at Outreach as, as I believe we're leading that charge.
1: Yeah, I love that. You're thinking about all of those different end users, let's say, across that revenue life cycle, being able to then have them answer the questions they want to answer to get the insights they need to drive their portion of the business. And it's very difficult to do if you only have the data in your one pocket. It's only
0: really difficult to do it if you have siloed data. It's also difficult if you're just relying on the CRM to get that data because no one used it. I mean, I hate to say that, and I don't want to be overly controversial, but sellers just don't use CRM, it wasn't designed for them, and it doesn't have the incredibly beautiful user experience and user interface that maps to their workflows. And so, so we're seeing now the next phase as outreach and our platform competitive set raises to the top. Simultaneously, the role of CRM is evolving so that it's not the only show in town, but it now has to share the stage with some of these other platform providers. and. Myself and and the analyst community believe that CRM will be becoming more of a CDP or back-end single source of truth, but not that system from which your go-to-market and revenue team members operate on day-to-day. And I think that's actually great.
1: That resonates with me. We're evolving to create more specific experiences for those end users designed to their processes, giving them the tools and data they need. Nobody likes entering data for the sake of it. They don't see the relevance to their needs. They're not going to do it, right? If it's not in the course of their job, they're not getting value, then it doesn't get in there. We need to build and design those experiences so they work for everybody. It's a great evolution on top of a terrific foundation.
0: I was a CRO and I probably leaned into the stick more than the carrot on on that because I couldn't do my job, Rachel. If they didn't have the data, how was I going to sit with the with the CEO on Monday and tell them what was going to happen? So, you know, I put CRM compliance and comp plans and all this. Stuff. I mean, totally. I, I know you yeah, have been
1: there too. Because yeah. we needed it,
0: right? But right. they didn't need it. They didn't need the it. Individuals
1: didn't need it in the way that no. we needed, we
0: needed it. it. We needed it. Yeah. But and now so- they need it if we can give them the tools to actually embed in their work. We're in a great place with automation in the sense that now sellers don't have to do any of that data entry. So it's all automatically extracted from the calendar, the email, the text, the social shares. And so that allows salespeople to get away from admin and minutiae and really focus their time and effort on being that consultative advisor, which I think everyone who went into sales actually really wanted to do. Yes, you get excited about uh, helping people with their the problems they're trying to
1: solve versus spending seven hours in the data trying to find someone to talk to. Exactly. Exactly. I have a couple of final questions for you. The first is March is International Women's Month. Uh, How can we better let women know
0: that they're welcome and valued in sales organizations? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole separate podcast in itself, Rachel. But I'm so glad you asked. I mean, there's a couple of things that, you know, I think it's Starting with representation, so you can start with what does your board look like? Are women represented on your board? What's the percentage? Are people of color on your board? Are uh, people of the LGBTQ plus community on your board, your executive team? And then that all starts to trickle down. And so I think first and foremost for the women who are, are sellers or ops leaders out there who are listening to this, if you think about a new opportunity or your current company, you want to take a look at, and see that representation the next stage is you know the interview process and the promotion process so are is there inclusive language that's part of job descriptions or language that you have to have been in sas for 10 years and that uh, immediately cancels out 90% of women who might apply for a software job right so starting to tune and tailor requirements for uh, joining a company or also getting promoted. I think pay equity is something you want to join a company that has a position on pay equity. No one wants to find out after the fact that they got paid less than a, co- a similarly situated colleague. That's a terrible, a terrible awakening to have. You know, so So I think those are a few things you can do. And then I talk a lot with, with Hang Black, Black, who's just so well-known out there in, in the industry. She's a head of enablement for Juniper Networks and one of our clients. And it, it's about intentionality. They actually go out and um, go to universities and colleges that have uh, professional sales programs that also have a diverse or minority uh, student population and actually go to them and ask them to come uh, interview at Juniper. for every interview process they have, they want to have representation as part of that interview process. There's a lot of different things you can do, but I'm so glad that you brought up the topic for International Women's Month and it's super important. There's lots more work to do. I love your suggestions, but we'll talk all month about it. I will say just on this topic, if you're, you identify as a, as a, as a woman VP of sales or VP of RevOps, Honestly, I'm not saying you should leave your company and go find another company, but you can write your own friggin' ticket right now in terms of your economics, where you can go, how you're going to be supported. So it's a moment in time. So use it to your advantage.
1: Great. So a couple of closing questions.
0: Advice to someone who's just about to get started
1: in their first operations role.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think hopefully you have acquired some quantitative data skills. I assume you have, or maybe you got promoted from within. So there's lots of courses out there. Uh, There's lots of mini MBAs that you can take. So make sure you turn yourself into a true quant jock. Make sure you understand and have storytelling skills. So it's not just the data, it's the story that the data tells. Listen and learn and observe and listen to podcasts like yours and our Revenue Innovators podcast. Like The world is moving so fast that if you're not constantly reinventing yourself and learning, and acquiring new skills, you're going to get left behind. So I'd say stay very open to learning. And then the final piece of advice I would get is it's not all about the data. Really hone and focus on your soft skills. And this was something probably I focused on a little bit too late as I w- on my career. I was very results-oriented, as probably some others may recognize th- those features in themselves, particularly women who have very assertive plans ahead for their careers. But really focus and hone those soft skills because i think the revenue innovator the revenue ops leader is someone who's going to bring together a wide range of constituents and so you've got to be able to influence and encourage versus you know just sort of spending all all your time in the data so those are a few i'm sure there's many more but hopefully that helps your audience that's great
1: thank you and final question who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch
0: Oh, I'd like to take anyone to lunch because we've been so uh, separated <laughs> from each other, right? I can't remember the last time I had a business lunch with anybody. So honestly, anyone, I'm going to be in New York next week. If you're in New York, DM me, I'll take you to lunch. Perfect. Uh, how about that for an answer?
1: <laughs> I love it. I've had uh, had folks list a whole, like yeah, six people. I want to just get together with this table
0: of folks. No, its I, I think we've really, you know, certainly done, the absolute best that we can do in remote and digital interactions. And I feel very pleased about that, but uh, nothing really takes the place of breaking bread with someone you're trying to get to know or who you want to work with. And so, yeah, I, I'm i just, I'll be out there and I expect to be out there quite a bit this year. So let me know what's, when when we're in the same city and let's catch up. Sounds great.
1: Thank you so much, Mary. And I want to remind everybody that you have an amazing revenue innovators podcast, and you should go find it and
0: follow you. Thank you so much for having me today. And thanks everyone for listening. And for any of the revenue innovators out there, uh, if you want to be on my show, send me a DM. Let me know or if you know any other revenue innovators, we want to talk to everyone all over the world. Again, thank you for the opportunity today.
1: Thank you, Mary. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing sales and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.